0: Welcome to Forging Plowshares. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are challenged by it. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. And We're following the outline of Douglas Campbell's new book.
1: It, what is, what's Douglas Campbell's background?
2: Uh, what's his tradition? He's an Anglican from New Zealand. He may be a Methodist now, but he, he at least at one point was a very low church evangelical anglican uh from new zealand very low church (laughs) snake belly low (laughs) oh really probably holds candlesticks in contempt. oh Oh, man (laughs) those candles those those have to go you know Uh, you know more lace more grace he's he's
0: from new zealand i don't know if that says anything to you guys
2: yeah kiwis are great people percy jackson not percy jack who am i thinking of you're thinking of Peter Jackson. Peter, Peter Jackson. That's right. Peter Jackson.
1: When I hear, when I hear New Zealand, I think well, hiking. You know, yeah. the the trail to Mordor, the Mountain Dew. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's so right. I think that you know you should never use
0: these hasty generalizations.
1: But in Unless fact, sometimes
0: flattering. they ring true, and there is a kind of warmth and uh, that you get. You know, when I was in Great Britain, I spent I don't know how many times I was in Great Britain, you know the British are very formal and very polite and very nice people but warm would not be my immediate description and so i was a little surprised when i was at saint john's that finally after i'd been there for i don't know years you know and somebody uh, among the students they invited me over to their house for dinner and i thought well this is wonderful you know i'm really getting to know a true british family here and of course, when I got there and got to know right. a little bit, they were from New Zealand. So,
2: you probably never met an Irishman that didn't invite you to the bar.
0: And <laughs> that's the and the Irish guys that came. You know, we had the Irish at the. It was like when when you meet and you go and, you know, you share you imbibe together. They're your best friends. You know, immediately they're your that's best right. friends. <laughs> uh, the Welsh were very similar that that so I don't mean to stereotype. So I think that though to locate what he's doing, that uh, it is, I think that we can say that he's come at this and then he went and studied with the Torrances and with uh, has profound course, appreciation. Too. and of course it's Thomas Torrance that may have been the key figure in bringing Carl Bart into, uh, the English language. Thomas Torrance translates I, a good portion of mm. the dogmatics, right?
2: I mean, I think all of it. it uh, both, yeah.
0: And so, anyway, he studied with the Torrances, and the Torrance uh, then held institute uh, in Scotland, right? Uh, and so he studied there, and
1: I mean, I know he's at Duke now. So Paul said a thing last week that I've been thinking about. I thought it was a really cool way to put it. He said that it's not that the Old Testament reveals to us, you know, or illuminates the new, but it's the opposite. It's the vice versa. It's that the New Testament makes the old intelligible, right? In other words, it fills it with content. And so like, I guess what I'm getting at with this conversation is that we've talked about this in other podcasts is that what well, we can, we can call truth, whatever we want to call it or describe it, however we want to, you know, and fill that word with whatever content we want to fill it with. But it sounds like what you guys are wanting to say, what Douglas Campbell is wanting to say is that no, actually Jesus, the person of Jesus Christ informs those words that we normally use, like the good, love, truth, justice, all these different things that he actually provides those words with actual content. And that content is his own person right mm-hmm. they each correspond to one another then those different what we call the transcendentals. so the truth god is eternal god is love god is the good um jesus is what fills those terms with meaning rather than us just sort of giving truth like an abstract you know definition oh it's it's that which corresponds to reality or however we want to do it what we're saying is is that no actually mm-hmm. the person of god you know in christ gives those those terms their true meaning Right. So, Paul, I guess I, I can give you I can ask you before we move to that conversation about how does God truth correspond to sort of the other things that we know about God that He's eternal and love and the good and things like that. Is there anything that you want to add to what John was saying about the sort of paradoxical nature that an infinite truth can be revealed by a human being, even if that person is God and man?
0: Yeah, maybe I do the negative better. You know, if somebody would ask you. What in the world has intrinsic value? You know, some people would say, well, people have intrinsic value. Others would say, well, no, that's not enough. We need to add animals, that animals have intrinsic value. Somebody else will say, well, wait a minute, don't trees have? In-? So what's the end of that conversation? I think it's what John is saying, that those things that have being have intrinsic value. Being contains an intrinsic value. And ultimately, this being then reflects on who God is, not to reduce God to being, but that in Christ we encounter this all-encompassing value of things. Otherwise, I think that we're going to always do it piecemeal. We're always going to come at it and try to build a ladder to God. No, we don't need to do that. We begin the other way around, and we recognize that the universe is infused with the glory of God, not to reduce God's being to mm-hmm. the being of the world, but to recognize the fingerprints of God in creation. And so the reflection of the infinite in being, That that's where it, receives its value that is the value and so that's the the understanding that i think you're only going to come to in he who is the alpha and the omega that christ has come and shown this reality
2: he's revealed it to us Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah no that's really good it made me so in what you said you made me think of what i hope would be a good A little illustration of this. And so I'm thinking of my least favorite theologian and yet my favorite English mystic, Juliet of Norwich. And she says, uh, she has this vision, right? And it's saying thing that's like a hazelnut. And it's so small, it's the world, apparently. But what keeps it from, what keeps it in existence? Like, why doesn't it just fall into nothing? It's so small and insignificant is the way she describes it. And the answer she receives from God is that it exists because God loves it. And I think that's what you're getting at, Paul. It's like, it's not so much that anything is so significant in and of itself that, you know, our knowledge of it all of a sudden reaches or would transcend towards, uh, you know, the heights of actual truth. We realize actually being on its own would be insignificant if it wasn't. For the fact that no being exists apart from God's love, so it's in an imitation. You know, it is sort of uh the order of being that we and all things have is on the order of imitating the pure being of God. That's, yeah, that's excellent. And. David Bentley Hart, I think,
1: adds a as, as a nice uh, dimension to this conversation too. Whenever you know, he just wants to talk about the fact that just by virtue of existence itself, you know, sharing and being, and the goodness of sharing in being, and also the beauty. You know, that's something that we haven't been talking about on with. God is truth or God is love or God is good. Hart of course wants to remind us that God is the beautiful as well. And so that we what we want to say is that all these things in some way are a are a participation in the life of God already. So it's not the pose, you know, a fideism, you know, but what we're saying is just by virtue of existing itself or um, sharing in being, sharing in the goodness of being, that there is a truth in that, there's a beauty in that, there's a goodness in that. in in that in as much as we share in in existence we share then in the life of god right so i guess that that sort of brings us to how does god as truth then correspond to these other things about god uh that he's eternal that god is love that god is the beautiful that god uh is the good itself okay we'll start with john
2: i think one way of thinking matt you keep mentioning the transcendentals and the transcendentals of course are how we understand these things in creation so when we talk when we're talking about the transcendentals uh, we think that, yes, we're understanding something that is about God, but it's only analogically, we don't think that the transcendentals are God himself uh, because they're all they're created relations, right? So when you talk about uh, you know beauty, we're usually talking about some created manifestation of this that we understand is beautiful in imitation of God's beauty, but that's on a different order. How all that breaks down then in a way that makes sense of, I hope your question, is that even though we can distinguish between what's beautiful and what's true and what's good, uh, we do so, and we make these distinctions because they we're, we're naming something that exists in reality in reality, Uh, as a created finite thing, is necessarily then complex in a way that it would involve a multiplicity. And when we we name these things rightly as good, true, and beautiful, what we've realized is this complexity uh, or this multiplicity of things is ordered rightly to God who is one. Now, that we understand that God is one means that when we understand God is ulti- you know, is truth, or God is beauty, or God is the good, God is, uh, you could just simply say God is, God is being. What we mean then is that in some way that's unfathomable to us, God in himself, the imminent trinity, is these things. And because there's a continuity in God that, is never, that doesn't change, you know, God isn't one day more good than the other, and there's nothing that can take away or diminish God's goodness, uh, we also then understand that in some way that's a bit beyond our comprehension, these things are identical. The way that manifests more in creation or in the, in the created world, the created order, is that we understand goodness and truth and beauty are convertible such that when we notice the goodness of something, that if we would look at it from another uh, you know, another point of view, it's just a metaphorical way of putting this, we could also notice the, the beautifulness of it or the goodness of it and the truth of it. I can't remember which one I used at first. Um, and so we're always understanding these categories as distinct from one another, but we also understand that where goodness is found, so is truth and beauty found. The way this manifests in the resurrected life. So this is what you know the discussion is really about, right? What does it mean to have been buried with Christ in baptism and raised again with Christ that we have this new life? That if we're going to say that we now live a sort of existence that is true, this existence that we live will also be good this existence that we live will also be beautiful. It'll be desirable to others. I, I don't think this is really anything less than what Christ is saying, that even on the cross, when God is glorified, all people will be dragged to himself. Literally, this is so desirable because it's the good and the beautiful and the true put on display, and in a way that transcends, you know, this is what's being revealed is also true about God and the imminent Trinity that it's that desirable. So I think that's the way we can think about uh, how does this manifest in our lives? Well, a life that is true is also going to be good. A life that is true is one that doesn't do evil to others, uh, which makes it a beautiful life and a life that's desirable to others. You become a desirable person to be around because we cease uh, relating to each other in terms of our own finitude in one sense. That no longer when people ask of us uh whatever they may ask of us uh, we don't sense we don't have that lurking feeling that oh i just don't have enough to give i'm going to have to turn this person away or i'm going to have to uh you know better yet i notice this lack in myself i think these i might just take some of life from this person and that manifests in a variety of ways but rather we can give of the infinite love of god or and thus we give uh of the infinite life of god which ends up being a true life offered to the other whoever that other might be
1: now this is this is good for me does that make sense yeah what this conversation i think is helping me to see more clearly too is that you know that that god doesn't look the way that i think that he would look or that he should look right like i would you know, if I were to come up with a god, it would probably be the god of just absolute power, first and foremost, some sort of unmitigated lawgiver, you know, lawgiving power. David Bentley Harden and That All Shall Be Saved gives this really cool example of, um, you know, the emperor Domitian. And that Domitian, you know, invites one of his his servants up to, to eat with him, to sort of hang out with him in one of his, you know, nicest chambers of his palace. It was kind of the highest honor that the steward could ever receive uh, or hope for. And so they, they have dinner and he wines and dines them. And the next day, Domitian orders this, that the steward be crucified. And it's just a real simple reason why uh, that it was sort of a demonstration of his absolute sovereignty, of his power. You know, how far above the normal categories of good and evil that that his sort of sovereignty gave him. And it's it's such a, a capricious cruelty that's yeah. associated with it there. And the way that I think that we would normally think about, or at least the way that I would normally or maybe this is the way we were even taught it, right? That that God is that way. But of course if what we if what we start with is what we've been saying in this conversation, and that is is that actually God looks like Jesus Christ. That actually God looks like a a servant that washes his disciples' feet. That he actually looks like the beautiful itself. So if you see something beautiful, you can say, that must be in some way imitating the being of God. If you see something that's good and true, and you could say, man, that's good. You know, that's just good. It's a, you know, you see a child, uh, George McDonald talks about the childlikeness of God and it's just mm-hmm. intrinsic goodness. And that that must be in some way sharing in the being of God. It's just something pure and good and wonderful and beautiful and true about it. In other words, that for me, the incarnation demonstrates that God looks so much different than what I would think that's that right. he would look like. I would think that he would be a punishing, sovereign tyrant. And of course, you know, as Christians, we confess God's omnipotent power. Uh, What we're just saying is that he wields that power always in conjunction with his perfect wisdom and love and goodness and truth and in and through the person of his son and in the power of the spirit, um, which is always, you know, I think the power of uh, gentleness and of patience and of those sorts of things too, you know? And so what we're talking about with the truth is the way is of course, then an embodied, it's not just an abstract principle. Um, it's not just uh, some sort of uh, proposition of some human proposition, but it's a way that we can actually go or that we can walk in. And Paul, that was your, before you started forging plowshares, you know, you had the, mm-hmm. I think it was called the walking truth was mm-hmm. the, was the original blog title. And so let's, let's Out a a great discussion by talking about, well, okay, if, Mm -hmm. if Jesus is the incarnate Son of God, and if Jesus is the truth, and if Jesus is the way, then Paul, what does it mean to live then according to the truth?
0: Can I take a crack at the good, the true, and the beautiful? Can you distinguish those? And I think that John's answer is, well, no, they all in some way are integrated into one another. But again, maybe a way of getting at this is to do what I do best, and that is to, to bring an element of evil into it. What would be the opposite of the good? In a way, it would be the perverse, the sinful, the denial of the good. That The good, in some way, is the thing that has authenticity. It has integrity. But we're already using the language, in other words, even to begin to describe the good. It's almost like you can't describe the one without appealing to the other, that the very categories are going to be intertwined in our ability to comprehend them. And I think that we can when the good, the true, and the beautiful begins to break down, it's going to break down along a similar fault line. And again, you know, what is the opposite of the true? Well, it would be a lie. What is the nature of a lie? Well, it's a denial of that which has authenticity, of that which has being. That is, a lie gives itself over to emptiness. That a lie is a turning from what has being to what has non-being. I think that you could just go through and do that to all three, that even in the midst, in this world, we're going to encounter all sorts of ugliness. We're going to encounter all sorts of lies. That we're going to encounter that which is, in fact, bad and evil. But even in the midst of those things, I think if we have an eye for an understanding of the truly beautiful, that we can still recognize in the midst of the world's perversity and sin that these elements shine through. There was a a movie, and I I assume that they meant it ironically. Uh, I think it was called America the Beautiful or something. It was a terrible, you know, just a portrayal of people's broken lives. But, you know, even in people's broken lives where there, I think that if we have a true God's eye view of people, we can still see the goodness in people, that there's an intrinsic goodness in all people. There's an intrinsic beauty in all of the world that we just have to, in some way, we have to cultivate our capacity to recognize the good, the true, and the beautiful in those places. So I, I think that, that once we do this or once we recognize this, that this gives forth in a, in a kind of joyous realization that we have to do with the very presence and being of god that it's god that's shining forth in every situation in all human contexts that in some way even in the most evil and the most cruel and the most ugly that in some way god is still there and we need to cultivate the eyes. In capacity to see him that would be my comment on the good true and beautiful
1: well and that might be your comment too about the question the last question about what does it mean to live according to the truth if jesus is the truth because what it sounds like you might be saying there is something uh we talked about this i think it might have been in the first uh, podcast where it talks about god as first of all the one who loves his enemies Paul, if you can see the goodness in someone like Al Chapo or, or someone that we would, you know, in the Eastern Orthodox Church, we've been talking about Judas the past couple of days. I guess it's a difficult thing to reflect upon that, okay, well, there's still the image of God there. And so what does it mean then to live according to that mm-hmm. truth? What's it mean to live it out? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Once we've said all of these big things, that this is a all-encompassing Alpha Omega kind of truth. I think that this then, in some way, breaks free of the bonds that Christianity is often constricted to. That living this truth means that we're going to encounter it all around us, and that the truths that may in and of themselves not cohere, they now begin to cohere, and part of what happens is that one truth then will lead to another truth, that there's an integration that we can follow out that this then describes an opening of the world to us and every facet of the world, that it all is God's truth, it is all a reflection of who God is in Christ, and that it is a kind of impetus to enter into the discovery of that truth, to in some way realize that truth in our lives, to apply it. In other words, it is always a kind of Practical truth, an applied truth. The abstractions then kind of fall away. And the beauty of getting rid of the, you know, this is Kierkegaard, but I think this is the New Testament, this is the whole discussion. Once we turn from abstractions, propositions, a kind of symbolic order, to the world itself, the world is open to us as an, an unfolding truth. And Our own lives, then, in living out this truth, they can be a participation we can recognize in everyday life. This is the beauty in Kierkegaard. You know, what's the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian? Would you be able to recognize the difference in following a man around and, and seeing the point is, well, it may not be one that's immediately visible, but, of course, the difference is the Christian, when he meets someone on the street, and has a conversation, that there's going to be a depth of love and an appreciation for that. When he eats his lunch, that there's going to be a thankfulness, an appreciation, a gratitude that comes forth, that there's going to be a full participation in life. And so I think that's at least partly what begins to unfold for us, is that it's not that we need to seek thrills. You know, I think that that we live in a society that is bent upon obtaining some sort of ecstatic experience because all of life then, you know, I think people are bored. Why are they bored? Because they don't understand the true, the good and the beautiful resides all around us for our taking. And all we need to do is appreciate that in the other people around us, in the food that we receive, in the nature by which we're surrounded. And in, you know, just the the stars and the planets. I go out and walk my dogs in the evening and I just sometimes just stand, my dogs get very impatient. As I look at the constellation and the moon and you recognize what a glorious world we live in and we're surrounded by this on on a daily basis. Our sad tendency is to in some way not recognize this. So I think that's the answer. We recognize it. We inhabit it. And we begin to participate.
1: In well, that's what, I mean, that's that's John's. I think the initial point is right. Is that the? I think that what the non-believer would say is that, oh well, you know, truth is a created category. The good is a created category, or love—it's a fiction, or it's a construct, right? And Christianity just militates against that. Uh, it says, no, actually, beauty is infinite.
2: Well, yeah, because it's uh, so. What I think a way of saying what Paul has been describing so eloquently is that. The good is what's primary, Um, the beautiful is what's primary, so the the opposite of those things isn't, uh, you know, isn't isn't primary (laughs) would be that it's a nothing in some sense. Um, And so even in any, you know, no matter how dark things get, if there's still a thing there to be reflected upon, at some level, it's still a good thing. Now that gets pretty hard to wrap one's mind around, when you start thinking about history. But then you also hear amazing stories uh, from people who have, oh, underwent you know awful suffering. And that's not to say that the suffering has any purpose or any reason. It's just those people are still people made in the image and likeness of God, and uh, you know there's goodness to them, and so their witnesses uh, are amazing. And so that's what you were just saying, Matt. It can't be uh, just, it's not a construct because reality isn't neutral. Reality is already permeated with the goodness, the love, the truth, the beauty of God. Did we cover it? I think that we covered it today.
1: Wonderful conversation, guys. It's all going to be up to the editor now. We've given (laughs) what I
0: hope we got it. I think we did. But I think it is is—it is a key topic that
2: we get to revisit it next Oh,
0: week. good. So we, it's not like we ever leave the truth, the, good, good. the true, the good, and the beautiful. That's right. There you
2: go. Matt, speaking of movies, have you watched any Tarkovsky yet? No. You keep saying that. Every time you <laughs> Thank say you I'm, for
1: listening I'm, I'm to this listen. episode of Forging Plowshares. You can learn more and join our growing community by visiting forgingplowshares.org please consider supporting at patreon.com slash paulaxton or by donating at forgingplowshares.org donate.